We are so excited to announce that we're going to be running a new motherhood support group. Starting September 8th, Sina and I will be leading a 10-part group to help reduce stress and cope with the challenges of new motherhood. This workshop offers new moms with babies from zero to one weekly group sessions that cover issues such as body image, the impact of motherhood on relationships and identity, mindful parenting, and self-care. The new motherhood support group will provide a space for connection, safety, and empowerment as we embark on the journey of parenting together. You will leave this workshop with a better understanding of motherhood and friendships with other new moms. The workshop will start September 8th and be on Thursdays from 12 to 1.30 p.m. You can register on Eventbrite, link to our website and Instagram at lovelink.co, or email us at info at lovelink.co if you want to learn more. Hope to see you there. I think part of being a good partner is pushing your partner to be a good partner. This is a process by which intimate relationships push us to become better people. You know, we don't grow and change and become better people by sitting by ourselves on some island somewhere. You know, like it's that process of wrestling things out with our partner that pushes us hopefully to bring more of the best of who we are. Welcome to Lovelink, your guide to love and connection in all forms. We're your hosts, Sina Simon and Simone Humphrey. Our guest today is a psychologist and certified sex therapist specializing in the diagnosis and treatment of ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. He's the author of More Attention, Less Deficit, Understand Your Brain, Get More Done, Integrated Treatment for ADHD, and most recently, ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, Better Relationship. He is a former board member and current conference committee co-chair for CHAD, the National ADHD Advocacy Organization, and also has his own podcast, More Attention, Less Deficit. He has become the go-to expert on ADHD in our field, and we're so excited to have him here. Welcome, Dr. Ari Tuckman. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really psyched to be here. Excellent. Glad to have you here as well. So why don't we first get started with telling us how you became interested in ADHD? So when I came out of grad school 22 years ago or something, you know, I was trying to find my place in the world, as every new clinician does. And I sort of stumbled into adult ADHD as this sort of underserved population. Um, You know, we're doing okay on diagnosing and treating kids, but there was so little out there for adults with ADHD. So the joke that I had at the time was, if you knew three things about adult ADHD, you were the expert in town, you know, and that joke has evolved to, you know, then it became, you had to know four things. And I think now it's like five or six things. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're slightly better and there's a bunch of good books out there and there's, you know, podcasts and webinars and whatever. So like it is getting better, but even so it's still something of an underserved population. And I think if we're talking about couples therapy, it is really an underserved population meaning there's tons of clients with ADHD and couples therapy, but the therapist doesn't know it and maybe they don't know it and it's therefore not being addressed in the most effective way. Right. And do you think, sorry, that less is known about adult ADHD just because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was just much less diagnosis in general, meaning that even children were being less diagnosed. And so now the children that are adults have little awareness about this. Yeah, I think so. 
you know, it's a it's a factor of history in the sense that ADHD used to be thought of as a disorder of childhood and you would grow out of it. And what happens is, indeed, what you grow out of is the hyperactivity. So if you're really hyper as a kid, you're generally less hyper as an adult. But what they didn't realize at the time, which now we know very well, is the more inattentive symptoms remain. So things like procrastination, trouble with time management, running late, disorganization, forgetfulness, losing things, et cetera, et cetera. That stuff remains. And there's all these folks with ADHD who are sometimes called ADD, but technically ADHD inattentive type were never hyperactive. So these are the folks who really kind of slip by. And these are the people who show up in my office at 40, 50, 60 with a clear history of ADHD as a kid and yet never diagnosed. Or you get what I call the two-for-one diagnosis, where mom and dad bring their kid in, kid, you know, because the teacher recommended it, because teachers know what to look for, so they can recommend, you know, getting it checked out. Kid gets diagnosed with ADHD, and then one of the parents says, oh, boy, that sounds familiar, you know, and then they get diagnosed as well, because there's such strong genetics. If you got a kid with ADHD, or if you're related to somebody with ADHD, you want to take a second to think about whether you yourself might have ADHD. And if you're a therapist who hears in passing that someone is related to somebody with ADHD, you definitely want to take a minute to think, does this person in front of me perhaps have ADHD? Do we want to take a look at this? Because it will affect the work that you do. You will be less effective. Your client will be less, um, will get less benefit from the treatment that's being provided. So you've already talked about this a little bit, but just for context, can you give us a definition of what is, what is ADHD? What does it look like in childhood versus mm -hmm. what, is, what does it look like in adulthood? Sure. So, you know, as I mentioned, the hyperactivity will tend to, to fade. But, you know, if it's there, it's, it's the kid who has trouble sitting still in class. They call out, you know, they raise their hand and then they answer before being called on. They might interrupt people. Um, you know, so it's very visible stuff. Um, as an adult, if you are hyperactive as a kid, it might be a thing where you don't want a desk job. But if you're a salesman who's moving around, if you're a hairdresser, if you're doing other stuff, you're more active, it, you might be fine. You know, like you do okay in life. Whereas inattentive symptoms, you know, these are the kids who are often losing homework, um, if they even know what the homework is. Um, or if they do know what the homework is, an hour's worth of homework can take two or three hours because of all the breaks and the futzing around. And it just feels like climbing a mountain to get going on it. So much more parental involvement to keep them on track, often not performing to potential. Such a smart girl, if she would only you know, apply herself a little bit more. As adults, again, lots of procrastination. So they have trouble getting going on stuff until the pressure of the moment, pressure of the deadline kind of activates them. Disorganized, so they're losing things, can't find their keys, running late to work, running late to social obligations, say that they're going to do something and then forget to do it, not because they're being passive aggressive and not because they don't want to do it, but because they somewhere between the here and the there, it's just the intention kind of falls away. So, um, there's a famous saying that ADHD is not a disorder of knowing what to do, but rather a disorder of doing what you know. Mm -hmm. So all my clients with ADHD, they can tell you chapter and verse what they should be doing and why. Like they know why it's a good thing. And yet they shoot themselves in the foot again and again and again. And it becomes really frustrating for them and really frustrating for their 
parent in the case of a kid or their romantic partner in the case of an adult. So what happens to the romantic partner in, in a couple where one person has ADHD? Often what happens, particularly if it's the, the guy who has ADHD and it's the heterosexual couple, the, often what happens is the partner takes on more and more of the responsibilities. Remember to do this. Don't forget to do that. Um, and some of that's good. Like if you're good at remembering, you should do more of the reminding. But gradually what happens is they just take on more and more and more. Oh, you forgot to pay the bills. Okay, you know what? I'll just do it. Oh, you didn't load the dishwasher? Okay, fine. I'll just take care of that. Oh, you screwed up your schedule. Somebody has to run and pick up the kids. Okay, I guess, I guess I'll guess i go do that. Mm-hmm. And, and you get this imbalance. And one person is over-functioning, one person is under-functioning. And eventually, if it really goes to the end, it kind of becomes this parent-child dynamic. And I've had countless mm-hmm. women in my office saying like, I want a husband. I don't need another kid. Like, we have two kids. I don't need three kids. Right. Um, and if you're going to talk about their sex life, if your partner thinks you're a kid, they're not going to have sex with you. Mm. Right. It's not exactly setting up a, di- a romantic dynamic. It is a killer of the romantic yeah. dynamic. I actually had a, um, I don't know if we can use profanity on this. Sure. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I had, this was like the best thing. Um, I had a, a couple in my office, guy has ADHD, and the woman said, you know, if I have to nag you all the time, I'm going to become unfuckable. Mm. And it was like, she's 1000% right. Like she is exactly right that being nagged all the time is not going to make her husband want to have sex with her. And by the way, she's not going to want to have sex with him either. So that's fine. You know, like it works out well in that case, Mm -hmm. which of course is terrible. So, you know, it in any couple, same-sex, heterosexual, ADHD, whatever, like we all struggle to to keep a balance. How do I get my needs met? How do you get your needs met? How do we negotiate the differences? How do we negotiate different ways of doing things as well as different preferences for how things are going to end up? But our couples where one person has ADHD, especially if it's not diagnosed or if it has been diagnosed, but it's only partially being treated, they're not really managing it well, it just polarizes them. It, It exacerbates the differences and then it makes it really hard to get along well. So mm-hmm. that's what we want to avoid. Right. And it sounds like polarizing in that the negative cycle kind of becomes more deeply ingrained in both of them, making both sides even worse. Exactly. Right. The more exactly. one partner kind of organizes and takes control, the less, the more the other partner becomes more dependent, the more the other partner yeah. nags, the other partner becomes more defiant. Yeah. Or just avoidant, you know, and it becomes this thing where You know, the irony in couples, like you guys know this, we all know this, is that there is a logic to it. Like, they're not crazy in what they do. They're just not responding in the best ways. So, you know, we can start with either partner, but start with a partner with ADHD. They're not following through with the things that they said they would do, the stuff that they themselves agree to. They're not being passive aggressive or lying or whatever. So their partner takes up more of the slack. They become more burned out and angry. So then the non, the partner with ADHD feels more and more criticized. And by the way, like it's never enough. Like it doesn't matter what I do. You're never going to be happy. Um, and maybe some of that's ADHD and maybe some of it's just like, look, I don't care about making the bed. Like, that's cool that that's important to you. I don't care. Like that's not a medication thing. That's not an ADHD thing. I don't care about it. And yet it gets lumped into here we go again. You're letting me down. So the partner with, without ADHD gets more and more angry 
and you understand why they're angry, but the partner with ADHD is always being harped on, they retreat and you understand why they do that. So, you know, but the more they retreat, the more the non-ADHD partner gets angry about like, here we go again, even more I have to, you know, and Mm -hmm. it just like, it becomes this like death spiral. And it seems like both in the relationship and also sexually that the lack of attunement that a person with ADHD might come into the relationship with can have a huge impact. Absolutely. You know, that they've had their own struggles, especially again, if this is an adult, I mean, it's one thing if they're 25 and they were diagnosed at 10 and they've been treated and, and whatever, you know, that's a different ballgame than if they're 40 or 50 and they were never diagnosed and treated, but you know, they've kind of come into the relationship already with their own struggles and already feeling like they're too often disappointing people. They're too often not doing what they themselves would like to do. So it's easy to be kind of hypersensitive then to the disappointment of this person who's the most important person in your life, you know? So it can set up then this kind of defensiveness or the shame spiral or, you know, that it just, it doesn't bring out the best in who they are, let's say. And does it show up differently, uh, between men and women? I mean, if a woman has ADHD, mm-hmm. does that look very different than if a man has ADHD and the impact on the relationship? So that is a really good question. So the, the short answer is no, and the big answer is yes, right? So mm-hmm. in other words, ADHD is ADHD, right? And that, it just is what it is. And it's not actually different between the genders. However, life in this world is different between the genders, So, you know, just like a simple example, if I, as a male, forget to send a friend a birthday card, whatever, you know, but if you, as a woman, forget to send a friend a birthday card. Totally different. Right. It's more caring. It is. So for women, in terms of the social relationships, it can be there's much more kind of shame and guilt and not measuring up a lot more like imposter syndrome, a lot more working really freaking hard to hold it together or to at least look as if they are. Um, But also within relationships, um, I mean, I'm sure you guys, it's the same thing for you. Like how often do you get a guy calling to make him an, an appointment for his female partner? And how many times do you get a female calling to make an appointment for her male partner? Right. 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 So, Women are much more the caretakers and the coordinators in relationships still, even in this day and age. Um, So when the man has ADHD and he's not holding up his end, the woman takes on even more and becomes increasingly tired, increasingly overburdened, increasingly resentful. So the emotional labor is an overdrive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that again becomes a sex killer, you know, because the woman is, if even if she's not feeling resentful, she's just tired. Like there is not time in the day to also have time and energy for sex, even if she's not resentful, Mm -hmm. you know, and when the woman has ADHD, it, you know, she's still expected to handle more than the, the guy in terms of the housework and the child raising and all of that. um, And also the emotional work of the relationship. And yet she feels even more burdened because of her own kind of inefficiencies. Mm -hmm. It's harder for her to get it all done. And her, and unfortunately, I mean, some, some, like, okay, some guys are great and they step up and they fill in the gap, but like not all of them do, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
it, it then becomes another place where she feels like she's kind of chronically falling short. So it sounds like it really wears down the female partner in a way that makes it more difficult for her. Does it also have a more severe effect on the relationship? Like, is there any kind of research that shows that um, couples where the female partner has ADHD are less satisfying? So I actually did some research on this. Mm -hmm. So, um, I had this book I wrote, ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, Better Relationship. But in order to write the book, I thought I wanted to see what the research was. And, and of course, there's no research on this because generally in sex, you can assume there isn't any research. Um, so I did the research. I put out a survey. I had 72 questions. When you put in the sub questions, I got more than 3,000 people to fill it out, which I think is really wow. a testament yeah. to the fact that people are interested in this topic. Absolutely. Mm -hmm didn't pay them whatever, purely their own self-interest. Um, and what I found was that, interestingly, when the woman has ADHD in a heterosexual couple, they actually do a little bit better than when the man does. Hmm. So um, the overall relationship satisfaction is a little bit higher, um, and the sexual satisfaction is also a little bit higher. They also have sex 25% more often than when the man has ADHD. Um, and I think some of this comes back to that sort of um, parent-child dynamic that, you know, sort of polarizing that happens where the woman feels more and more burdened and stressed out and overwhelmed. But some of it also, and this is a whole separate finding, is that the folks with ADHD actually rated high, they rated themselves higher in terms of sexual eagerness, like I kind of clustered, when I looked at the 12 questions in the survey that had anything to do with sexual eagerness, meaning desired sexual frequency, masturbation frequency, porn use frequency, um, kinkiness, etc. So out of 12 questions, those with ADHD rated themselves higher than the non-ADHD people on 10 of them. Wow. In and general, for men and women. Yeah. For men and women. And in this case, comparing men with ADHD versus men without mm -hmm. and women with ADHD versus women without. Like, mm -hmm. so I'm not comparing across genders because, like, that destroys your data. Like, who knows what you're measuring at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and so it becomes a situation where, at least in terms of sexual interest, the women with ADHD are a little bit closer to the guys without ADHD. Right. And that can and, be very protective in a relationship to have absolutely. the intimacy still alive and well, even when there's some dysfunction in the relationship. Absolutely. How do you understand this um, increase in sexual desire for people with ADHD? So let me jump back to the first question. So mm -hmm. like it is protective. It absolutely mm -hmm. is. Because if you and your partner are mad at each other, but you're feeling kind of horny anyway, and you say, all right, you know what, let's, let's have sex or, or do whatever and then you feel better about each other, you're in a better position to deal with whatever it was that just that pissed you off earlier. You know, so I think that there's very much a momentum effect in relationships. And if you can get over that problem and deal with it and then be good on the other side, that carries forward to the next situation, as opposed to when there's too big a des desire discrepancy and one partner is really not feeling it, it, it becomes that death spiral. You know, mm -hmm. so instead of the sex being the, the good thing that brings them together, it becomes a bad thing that pushes them apart or yet another bad thing that pushes them apart. So back to the question, like, why do folks with ADHD have a higher sexual eagerness? I think that so the theory that I have on this is that generally speaking, folks with ADHD are more influenced by the world around them. 
So if you think about distractibility, just as like a simple example, someone who doesn't have ADHD can, let's say, look at their cell phone when they got a text. So, oh, okay, well, anyway, here's what I'm doing. Ignore the text. I'll deal with it later. Um, so they're less, that person is less influenced by the world around them in that moment that they can pause, evaluate the new stimulus, and then rule it out and say, nah, not my thing right now. By contrast, a person with ADHD, and I have like a million examples of clients, you know, giving, telling stories like this, they're working on something important. A text comes in, which is definitely not more important. And yet they see the text, they go, oh, and then they're in, now they're texting, you know, and they're pulled off by this text. So that's sort of ADHD overall. But I think that when it comes to sexuality or sexual stimuli, whether it's sexual stimuli in the world around us or sexual stimuli within our own head, some of us are more influenced by that. Some of us have a harder time kind of putting on the brakes and saying, you know what? Mm, not right now. This isn't the time or place. Whereas I think that those with ADHD will feel that sexual interest, desire, energy, whatever, more so. And again, this is neither good nor bad. It depends on the context. Right. Did you find anything in your research about when both partners have ADHD? Because it sounds like most of the examples that you're using is where one partner has right. it or doesn't. You know what? I limited the survey only to people with one ADHD <laughs> partner. So I can't speak to couples where it's both. Um, I think what I, but I can speak anecdotally. So on the one hand, it, it can be a good thing in the sense that, you know, the more similar we are to our partner, probably the better it is, you know, just generally speaking, the less of a bridge to cross, probably the easier it is to do so. And they can empathize with each other a little bit more. Having said that, <clears throat> You know, even if you're both forgetful, like somebody has to go to the grocery store. <laughs> somebody has to remember to pay the bills. It could be really and, messy. <laughs> yeah, it, it can. It absolutely can. And yet, you know, in that kind of polarizing kind of a way that applies even here and even in same-sex relationships and even in whatever, like often it's still, you find something of a similar dynamic where one person is pushed up to be with the higher functioning person and the other person slides down to be the lower functioning person. Mm. I'm curious. I mean, we live in a very ADD culture. You know, we use this all the time, very yeah. colloquially. Like yeah. it's, it's very easy to become distracted. We're all on our phones. We're all at our computers. So I'm wondering if, if some of the dynamics that you're speaking to or one person maybe more diagnostically has ADHD, yeah. is that this, this is a direction that many couples are taking just naturally, where inattentiveness interferes in relationships. It totally does. I mean, this is definitely true. That, you know, when I was a kid growing up, there were a lot less distractions than there are now. You know, and like my son does homework on his iPad. Like so much of his schoolwork is done on his iPad. Other, you know, students, all their homework is done on the computer. So, you know, all your distractions are one click away. It's sort of like, you know, eating a salad in a bakery, you know, like, mmm, I smell those chocolate chip cookies, but this kale sure is healthy for me. <laughs> so, so it, so it, where society is going and the presence of devices and the sort of constant interconnectedness of distract of our devices and the distractions that they provide, it really does 
create a, a similar challenge for all of us in this world, but especially for some who have that much more trouble kind of filtering out those distractions. And I think that's partly why ADHD, the diagnosis of ADHD has been on the rise, not because we have more ADHD, but because you notice it more, you know, mm -hmm. like when you live in a much less distracting world, being distractible is kind of less of a thing, you know, um, it's sort of like a predisposition towards obesity didn't mean much 300 years ago because you worked hard physical labor and you didn't get enough food to get fat anyway, you know, mm -hmm. now in a more sedentary more calorie dense environment, suddenly that genetic predisposition is much more visible than it ever was. So I think it's exactly the same thing. And I think that the lessons for couples with ADHD apply to all of us. They just apply more so to these particular couples. How many, what percentage of the population has ADHD? So it's more diagnosed in kids than adults, but mm -hmm. you know, the current number is about 4.4% of adults. So, so if you think about it, you know, 4.4%, but then in terms of what percentage of adults are in a relationship where one partner has ADHD, then you need to double that number, you know, because it's two people. So that brings you to 8.8% .8 or another way, like one out of 11 couples out there. It is. Really significant. It and is. And I imagine also that statistic is underreporting because some many adults aren't diagnosed with ADHD. Sure. Right. Well, so that's a percentage who have it in terms of those who've been diagnosed. It's a fraction. You're absolutely uh, right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so again, we've done a better job of identifying kids with ADHD and, and truthfully, probably a bit of overdiagnosis of ADHD in kids and yet a lot of underdiagnosis in adults. I'm wondering too about medication. So mm -hmm. a lot of, this is just anecdotally from patients that I've seen who have a diagnosis of ADHD are on some sort of uh, yeah. medications, stimulants, mm -hmm. or sometimes an SSRI. I mean, the variety mm -hmm. of different medications. I'm wondering what the impact of some of those medications for ADHD can have on people on, on and on their relationships. Yeah. So I'm a psychologist. I don't do prescribing, but in generally speaking, I'm not a huge proponent of medication, but I will say for ADHD, I am absolutely a proponent of medication, specifically extended release stimulants. And the reason is the percentage of people who get a benefit from stimulants is quite high. And the extent of the benefit stimulants have on the symptoms of ADHD makes them the most effective medication in all of psychiatry. And this risk and the side effects tend to be quite low, despite some of what you're going to see in the media and kind of, his, you know, hysterical reports. Overall, the stimulants work really well and the risks and side effects are low. On the flip side of this equation, if we look at what are the risks and side effects of untreated ADHD, it's quite high. So mm -hmm. not just things like kids with ADHD are more likely, like they've lower, they've lower grades, less likely to go to college. If they go, they're less likely to graduate. But you have other th things like higher rates of car accidents, lower credit scores um, for adults, um, higher marital dissatisfaction, higher divorce rate, more unplanned pregnancies. Um, there's even new data out there talking about how untreated, particularly if it's untreated, ADHD, results in significant decreases in estimated life expectancy. So folks yeah. with ADHD, higher substance abuse rates, 
higher diabetes, higher obesity, more accidents, which shaves years off of their life. Um, So, you know, anyone who says, oh, stimulant medication, it suppresses my appetite or something. It's like, okay, maybe it does. Maybe you need to work with your prescriber for a better, you know, regimen that's going to work more effectively. When you look at what are the risks of untreated ADHD, I think it really, it becomes a very short conversation. Or by contrast, if your kid got diagnosed with diabetes and the doctor suggested insulin, you know, people are not going to angst over it. Nobody's going to get moralistic, like, God, I can't believe you're giving your, really, you're giving your kid insulin? He just needs to try a little bit harder to make his own insulin, like seriously, Mm -hmm. bad parenting, Mm -hmm. right? Nobody blames the failings of society for, you know, someone needing insulin. And yet when it comes to ADHD, they do. And I think it often reflects the fact that there's this misunderstanding that ADHD is merely a matter of will mm-hmm. as opposed to a matter of ability. And, mm-hmm. and I think also the abuse of stimulants among people who don't, who don't have a diagnosis of ADHD adds to this uh, stigma of using stimulants in general. Yeah. Well, and also that the medication works differently for people who have ADHD versus who don't have ADHD. Mm-hmm. So maybe, right. maybe we could speak just a moment about that. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there is a small subset of people who abuse the stimulants, but generally speaking, the problem we have for folks with ADHD is that they don't take their medication, that they forget to take it. They forget to get a refill. They forget to contact the doctor about changing the dose or whatever. Um, But what I sometimes I describe that sometimes what the medication does is it closes a gap between intentions and actions. So again, it's that not just knowing what to do, but the doing it. So when someone has ADHD, they're more consistent, they're more reliable, they just haven't eat, they're more efficient about getting things done. They tend to get places on time a little bit better. So, you know, the benefits clearly are helpful for a kid at school or an adult at work, but also for an adult at home. You know, so all that stuff we were talking about in the first half about how ADHD negatively impacts a relationship it can also positively impact a relationship. And so for that reason, I'm a big proponent. Now, you can still choose to not do that thing that your partner wants you to do, right? But that's a different story as opposed to you completely forgot or you lost track of time or you showed up late. You know, like with the medication, at least the person has a chance at it. And Tell as us th- how ADHD can have a positive impact on relationships. So I think it, it depends on the individual, you know, and like all of us, we bring our strengths and we bring our weaknesses. And of course, what's a strength and what's a weakness depends on who your partner is because, you know, different partners have different opinions about that. But certainly, you know, in terms of this greater sexual eagerness, that can absolutely be a strength in a relationship if the couple can manage it well. Um, I think, you know, folks with ADHD can be a lot of fun. Like I've got a bunch of friends with ADHD who are awesome people. You know, um, so that's important. And I mean, it is important to make sure the kids' permission slips get signed. It's important to make sure that we clean up around here now and then. It's important to make sure that we like plan for retirement. I mean, that stuff is definitely important. But I don't know, like you need to kind of live and enjoy some life also. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's sometimes where the partner with ADHD brings more of a strength then they're not ADHD. It's oftentimes like a kind of spontaneity. I mean, I found in my yeah. experiences with friends and even clients, mm-hmm. there's a kind of spontaneity. There's a way in which a conversation can really kind of 
kind of turn and go in these really um, lovely directions that aren't so focused. I think also staying in the present moment, people who have ADHD can actually be really present as long as, you know, maybe they're shifting their attention, um, pivoting to different things, but they're in the present moment. Mm Yeah, in a way absolutely. that many aren't, you know, that's something our culture also struggles with is staying present. And and that's definitely true, you know, and like, so those would be the things for the non-ADHD partner to really sort of value and appreciate and to recognize the benefit um, and not just, and you know, it's this idea of positive attending to kind of like make an intentional effort to look for those things about our partner that we're happy about as opposed to kind of getting stuck on the things that bother them, that bother us. Right. Cause I can imagine a partner who has ADHD can be in a really demoralized place. If they're constantly being told what they're doing wrong all the time, there's a real kind of, um, yeah, sense that, that you're a failure and that it's all negative. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that is definitely true. So just as a person with ADHD themselves, can feel powerless over their ADHD, the partner absolutely can. And I've had lots of non-ADHD partners in my office say something along the lines of like, I cannot believe who I've become. Like, this is not who I am. And yet I can't stop myself. Like, I don't know what else to do. Right. You know, So it's sort of when it's not managed, when it's not understood, it really has the potential to bring out the worst in both partners. Whereas... If you understand it, if you can accept it, if you, if you can put in the effort to manage it better, it really can bring out the best in both partners. We invite you to spend the next few moments to just listen. Brought to you by Non, spelled N-O-N, the sound meditation app for iPhone, where no two sessions are alike. So when when a couple comes to you for therapy, um, walk us through how you work with couples where one partner has ADHD. I'm curious about you know, what is the experience of the partner who has ADHD in therapy? Um, and sort of like, what are the beginning stages of therapy uh-huh. with a couple? So sometimes they come in and they don't know they have ADHD. So sometimes that's the first step is clarifying the diagnosis. But even if they do know, um, I always want to find out, like, what do you guys know about ADHD? And guys, plural, like both of you, not just the one who has it, but what does the other person know? And I think that's really important so that they can both sort of understand how it's affecting them to not personalize things that shouldn't be personal 
So in other words, if my partner has ADHD and she forgot something, it's not because she doesn't care about me. It's just she's bad at remembering things. And therefore, maybe we need to approach this stuff a little bit differently. Um, so some of it's that, just that educating them about ADHD. So we'll give them some resources. Um, finding out what they're doing with their medication, that's often low-hanging fruit. You know, it's a thing that with some recommendations of like, wait a second, you've been on this dose for a year and it's only sort of helping. Yeah, I'm sort of hoping for more than sort of helping. So go back to your doctor, talk to them about increasing the dose, or you're getting these side effects so you don't like to take it. Okay, again, go back to your doctor, talk to them about a different medication. Maybe that'll work differently. Or if they take an extended release in the morning, that benefits them at work, but then mostly wears off by the time they get home at night. So their partner gets none of the benefit of medication. Maybe adding a short-acting stimulant at the end of the day to help them at home. Maybe also take it on the weekend so, again, their partner gets some of the benefit. So that's like an easy, quick fix. And then it's all the rest of the therapy work. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we balance this out? How do you get both of your needs met here? Are there any common misconceptions about ADHD that you hear from people when they're telling you about what they already know? I think the biggest one is that ADHD is really just about willpower. Like if you really tried, blah, blah, blah. Um, and often this then, and I sort of referenced this before, but this sets up this idea of I shouldn't really need the medication or you shouldn't really need it. Or I'll just take it for a few months and learn some habits and then I won't need the medication anymore, which is kind of like saying, I'll just wear glasses for a few months until I figure out where all the streets and signs and everything are in town. And then once I know that, I don't need to wear my glasses while I drive anymore, you know, which is kind of a crazy idea. Um, so, you know, so I think it's that. And it's, it's, so some of it is that. I think some of it also is that the other part of this is not just the partner with ADHD working on being more consistent and reliable and managing their ADHD symptoms better, but it's also the non-ADHD partner recognizing that, you know what, maybe I need to let go a few things. Maybe I need to be a little bit more flexible because it's easy to fall into this kind of moralistic trap of, you know, the non-ADHD partner is the one doing the right things. You know, this is the right way to do it. And the, not, and the partner with ADHD is always falling short, in quotes, always falling short. So it's easy to then for the non-ADHD partner to feel like, well, you need to do it my way. So like I had, I was talking to a guy with ADHD yesterday and for his wife, leaving those last couple dishes in the sink is like a mortal sin, you know? And yet there's nothing objectively right or wrong about leaving a couple dishes in the sink. Now she can have a preference about it. She can have an opinion, but that doesn't make her right. And it doesn't make him wrong, right? So, so it's often that of kind of getting them off of this black and white, right and wrong, and more about, is this important to you? Like, how important is it to you that there not be dishes in the sink? And if, you know, he put most of the dishes in, but a few got left, I don't know. Is it important to fight the rest of that battle? Or do you feel good about what you won, so to speak? Most of it got in the dishwasher. Whatever, I'll throw the last few in, good enough. Um, as any couple needs to sort of figure out, what do I push and what do I let go? 
I think you also spoke to something really important and something that I've seen in my office quite a bit is when one partner who struggles with ADHD and is really inattentive and has a hard time paying attention to their partner, that that partner really takes it personally, that they feel like if you're not paying attention to me, it means you don't love me. It means I'm not interesting enough. I'm not saying enough for you. And then that causes the person to kind of withdraw or maybe become more critical or feel really wounded when in fact the the ADHD partner is really actually making an effort and it has nothing to do with their partner. And right. I think that's a huge misconception. And, and just even being able to say that and name that can be huge. Right. And, and you, you nailed it. Like, it's exactly that. It's that the partner with ADHD doesn't pay good attention to their partner. So then the non-ADHD partner makes... So there's basically two bad you know, explanations for that. One is the partner with ADHD is just kind of a selfish jerk and, you know, isn't capable of paying attention. The other is a partner without ADHD is not interesting enough to be paid attention to, right? So it taps into their insecurities. Right. If I was more something or less something, then you would pay more attention to me. And it comes and it triggers all that stuff. Um, whereas really the better third option here is to understand, you know what, I'm plenty interesting as the non-ADHD partner, but he or she's just kind of bad at paying attention. Like, it's not a comment on anything. It's just, it just is what it is, you know? Now, given that knowledge, how do we address it? You know, do we have conversations while the TV is on? Well, probably not if you want to be paid attention to. Like, that. that's an easy recommendation to make. You know, why set yourself up for failure there? Um, and for the part, the non-ADHD partner to be kind of direct about what they want. Like, hey, you know what? I really like every, I need at least a few minutes from you every night without the kids, without the TV, without the cell phone. Like, I just need a few minutes for the two of us to talk and connect. I need to tell you what we've got coming up. We need to put stuff on the calendar, whatever. Like, to just be blunt and direct about it. Not sort of angry, not shrill, not okay, I'm going to see if he does it up. Oh, he did yet again, didn't do it, you know, not setting up for failure, which is setting up their own disappointment. Um, so to be direct and for the partner with ADHD also to be direct and to say, look, here is what I need from you. If you want to have that meeting, do not wait for me to come to you. Cause I probably won't. I'll forget. So come to me, ask nicely, and then I'll respond nicely. Um, or for the partner with ADHD to say, you know what, I understand that every night you would, you want to go through the calendar or something, but like, seriously, I'm not going to do that. Like that, that is not a thing I'm going to do. Or like, don't like, basically don't make false promises. Don't make promises you can't keep. So, you know, so it comes out of kind of a differentiation model. A lot of what I do, meaning for both partners, be honest about who they are, direct about what they need and able to tolerate what their partner needs and to then negotiate fairly the differences. Right. Right. And it seems like once uh, the partner who doesn't have ADHD can take things less personally, actually, and also the partner who has ADHD can take things less personally, that they can both uh, begin to communicate more directly with each other and get their needs met. Do you have any experience with ADHD in, in your life? So I don't, not... Not directly, although I, there's a few family members on both sides that we could probably bet a few bucks on. But um, 
yeah, I just sort of, you know, I fell into the specialty a bit randomly, but it just, it just became a good fit. You know, like I really like my clients with ADHD. Um, and it's just, it's a lot of fun to work with them. It's a lot of fun to work with their partners. And I think that there's, there's a lot of good work to be done here. There's a lot of benefit to be had from a little bit of the right work and a little bit of the right medication. What is it that you like about working with um, people who have ADHD? I think it's like you said, they're just more fun, you know, like <laughs> they're more interesting. There's a spontaneity, there's an energy there that I really just sort of love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious too about, cause there's such a spectrum people that sort of barely meet the criteria yeah. or just make the cusp, um, you know, for our listeners out there, like how, how would you recommend really distinguishing between clinical ADHD versus kind of significant inattentiveness because yeah. I, I think it really does impair all of us to a certain extent. When, when should a person get tested or when should a person really consider um, getting treatment for it? Yeah. So I think that's a good question. And absolutely. I mean, th this is a spectrum thing in the sense that, you know, like we're all forgetful sometimes, but some people are kind of forgetful and some people are like really forgetful. So, you know, so there's no like cutoff line where if you have this, then it means ADHD, but otherwise it doesn't. It's not a black and white yes or no. Um, so I think it's a matter of degree. And I think it, it becomes a question of, you know, really comes down to the question, is this impairing? Is it impairing you in your life? And if the answer is yes, then you need to do something about it. Maybe that thing you do is you buy yourself a better planner and you really make a point of using it. And maybe that's kind of like all you need. Um, or alternatively, maybe it's severe enough that you're like, you know what, there's no way I can't take medication. Like I absolutely need it. My life is a disaster without it. So I'm going to do it. Um, so I think it, it becomes sort of a judgment call, but often the person with ADHD is a bit, especially if they're younger, younger adults tend to underreport the extent of their symptoms and they don't see it. Their parents see it. Maybe their romantic partner sees it, but they themselves don't see it as clearly. Um, but then it becomes a conversation like, you know, this is why people who are coupled up live longer because, you know, you have someone who's going to say, um, wait a second, what are you doing? Why aren't you addressing that? Like, you've got that mole on your back. Like, seriously, that thing's been there. I don't like how that looks. Like, I'm calling the doctor and you're going, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes being partnered up is like, there's that big protective effect that comes from it. So it's that matter of being open to what your partner is saying without being, you know, controlled by what your partner is saying. Right. So we've talked a lot about the distractibility, the inattentiveness component. Mm -hmm. I'm curious if hyperactivity, how that plays a role in adulthood. Usually it's more kind of a subjective sense of restlessness. So these are more the folks where if, if you said, hey, how do you feel about a desk job? They would rather like, you know, do anything else. Um, but, it's in, but it's really more the impulsivity that remains a problem. So, you know, so like the big example, the big common thing is they spend too much money. Not in a bipolar, manic episode, like huge spending in the course of a few weeks, but it's more that dribble, dribble, dribble. They spend a little too much here. They spend a little bit too much there. And it just, it adds up. Um, and then at the end of the month, they don't have what they need. Um, so it could be that. It could be impulsively 
you know, running out and doing something um, without thinking about like, oh, shouldn't have gone out to dinner, really needed to get this other stuff done. Um, which in some ways can be fun, you know, like we mentioned before, they can be fun to hang out with. Um, <laughs> but it, it can become problematic in other ways or blurting things out, interrupting, cutting people off because they can't hold the thought until the person stops talking. Mm -hmm. So like that, and more so for women than men, that can be a problem where some friends are going to have an issue with that. So how do you help some of these individuals manage their symptoms behaviorally, whether that's impulsivity or inattentiveness? Yeah. So some of it is, again, medication helps. I think mm -hmm. having good strategies to really, like if you're bad at remembering to do things, being really, really diligent about pushing yourself to write stuff down, setting reminders and alarms, being really diligent about putting stuff in your calendar, um, picking a right, the right work environment for you. You know, so if you get distracted, set up a situation that's less distracting. So some of it is, you know, it's sort of changing the symptoms to the extent that we can. But some of it's also kind of accepting that, you know what, some of this will always remain. Um, and also accepting for the partner, some of this will always remain. Like if you're looking for your ADHD partner, be 100% reliable, like the way you like to think you are, that day will never, ever come. Like if you're hanging your happiness on your partner always being on time, forget it. Like you're not going to be happy. So it becomes sort of a, you know, worker from both sides thing of like, on the one hand, your partner really needs to work on being more on time. They need to work on letting you know, like, oh crap, I got caught up. I'm going to be late as opposed to lying about being late and then showing, you know, the facts prove that they're late. Um, but then for the non-ADHD partner to be perhaps a bit more accepting, a bit less reactive to it. Yeah. Because, of course, you can't expect your partner to be honest with you if you blow up at them when they tell you the truth. Like, those two things don't go together. So, you know, being a bit less reactive, being a bit more kind of forethoughtful on their part. So, like, we're going to meet at, you know, we're going to meet at the restaurant after work. I'm not going to leave for the restaurant until I know you are actually walking out the door of your work. Right. And, and that you're actually telling me the truth that you're walking out the door, right? Because that's, I've heard that one before. Oh, yep, I'm, I'm leaving. And, but they're still, they get stuck at their desk. I'm just going to finish this email. I'll be at one minute and then I'm out of here. And then mm -hmm. another email and then another. And then like, you know, by the time they realize that it's too late. And then their partner is sitting at the restaurant fuming by themselves. And it's just, you know, bad to worse. So, you know, so some of this is for the non-ADHD partner to not expect what will not be. Mm, yeah. Do you ever recommend meditation? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, I can imagine that could be quite helpful. Kind of just being more present, mm -hmm. paying attention, focusing. Yeah, also less. Difficult. <laughs> and difficult, yeah. right. And Good difficult, point. yeah. But it makes, but it does. I mean, it helps with the attention side a little bit. I, th I don't think we can go so far as to say it's a treatment for ADHD, but it's a good way of managing it, particularly on the emotional reactivity side, you know, to sort of take a few deep breaths, calm yourself down, and then call your partner and say, okay, you know how I said I was leaving? Yeah, I haven't left. Right. Or to and be able to hear what they're saying without right. reacting back to it. Right. And to Sina's point, I, yeah, I would also be cautious about setting someone up for failure too, especially if they're already feeling like it's impossible for them to complete all these tasks to, to kind of assign them something that is incredibly hard, mm. um, right. might make them feel worse. Yeah. 
and and this is the balance is you know the person with adhd like any of us can't say oh no i i i'm not able to do that oh yeah no i'm not gonna be able to meet that expect oh that obligation yeah no i i, I can't do that either like you can't keep saying no 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 but at the same time you know out of this desire to please or just having not really thought it through it's easy for them to say yes 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 and I think ultimately it becomes a matter of being able to say no, to say like, you know what? I would love to say I, I can meet you at the restaurant at 5.30, but like, I know, like I'm gonna get stuck at work. I never leave at five. Like it's just, it's, or maybe I do, but I probably won't. Like I, I'm not gonna promise you stack of Bibles, swear on my mother's life. Like I'm not gonna promise you I'm gonna be there at 5.30 because I can't guarantee it. And then to let their partner be upset about it then rather than being fuming at the restaurant. So it seems like a lot of this is uh, a process of helping the person who has ADHD understand themselves better, understand what are they, what can they do, what, what can't they do, and being really honest about that. Yeah. Um, and then for the person who doesn't have ADHD to not take it as personally, be more accepting Right. And there, yeah. there's likely some disappointment. I mean, I could, you know, if, if my partner had ADHD and, and also I was being told some of these patterns aren't going to change. Right. Right. There's some disappointment that can, that can be there and some, some grief and loss that maybe yeah. uh, comes up. Well, absolutely. But like, here's the thing, my wife and I, neither of us has ADHD, but we disappoint each other a lot anyway, you know, like she's not the perfect, amazing partner in every single way that I wish for, but neither am I. So like, this is not unique to folks with ADHD. This is true for all of us. And, you know, to refuse to accept your partner for who they are is a setup for disappointment. So the the non-ADHD partner who can't accept the fact that, you know what, your partner is sometimes going to run late is then she's, she or he is forcing their partner with ADHD to lie to them right. in a way that is never like, okay, great. You know, you were, they agree they'd be on time here on Tuesday, but you know, on Friday, they're going to be late. You know, it's not like a victimless crime. You are setting yourself up for disappointment. So it's that hard choice of do you keep fighting for this thing that may or may not work out? Probably not. Or do you accept, you know what? There's a lot else about my partner that's awesome, but being on time ain't one of them. Like if that's who I need as a partner, I'm with the wrong person. Mm-hmm. You know, so do I let this lateness or whatever be the thing that destroys what is good between us? You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like that, that is a choice we each have to make. I think Michelle Obama had um, uh, something in her book, Becoming, about how Obama was always late and she was always waiting for him with the kids Mm. and then like keeping the kids up to wait for him to come home. And he wouldn't come home. And he said he was on his way and sometimes he wasn't on his way. (laughs) And then finally she said, "Okay, I'm I'm not going to wait for him. And when he comes home, he comes home. But I'm not going to. Um, expect that he's going to be here when he says he's going to be here. And that is something I'm willing to give up in this relationship. There are other things that are really good. Yeah. And that is exactly it, is that she decided I am no longer hanging my happiness on his being home on time. Right. 
you know, because that is a setup for trouble. Right. It really feels like walking the line between setting up a system that's more functional and helping each other out and being more clear. And also this piece about, I I can't fight every little battle. There's just going to be too much. And there's pieces that are not going to change. Yeah. And the trick is to figure out which are the battles to fight because you can't let them go. Right. Which are the battles that are not worth fighting? Now, certainly if you can understand what's coming out of ADHD, if you can use some good strategies, if you can throw a little bit of medication into the mix, it will remove some of that stuff. It'll minimize some of it. So you don't, you have, you know, perhaps fewer of these battles to have to mull over. Um, But at least you're not fighting every single battle. And, you know, one of the things that I, out of this survey data that I found that I think was incredibly interesting and not at all surprising was um, I asked folks, how much effort do you feel, do you put in on managing your or your partner's ADHD? How much effort do you feel like your partner puts in on managing your or your partner's ADHD? So one of the things was everyone rates their own effort being higher. Like, of course, you know, <laughs> and, you know, part we have a skewed of, image of ourselves. Right. <laughs> right. Now, in, in fairness, part of it is like, I know everything I do, but I don't see everything my wife does. So like, I can't give her credit for what I don't know about, you know, so some of it is just information imbalance, not just that we're all self-centered and, you know, think highly of ourselves. Um, but more importantly, what came out was those who felt that their partner worked the hardest on managing ADHD had sex two thirds more often than those who felt their partner put in the least effort. So mm-hmm. in other words, 92 times a year versus 55 times a year. Wow. That's a big yeah. difference. That is a big difference. That is a difference you will feel. Um, now, obviously it's not just about managing ADHD, but I think it's about being feeling like your partner is a good team player. They are doing their part. And those who felt that their partner put in good effort, obviously then also put in more of their own good effort. Yeah. And it's that feeling like we're in this together. We're both working hard and not just on ADHD, but if they're working hard on ADHD, they're probably working hard on lots of other things too. So it's that whole thing about being a good partner because you can't expect your partner to work harder than you are. Like that will never last. And I imagine those results apply to couples across the board. Yeah. Putting in the effort, Mm -hmm. feeling cared for, feeling like you're not in it alone. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes what that means is here's this thing you want me to do or that's important to you. And I'll just do it. Like, that's fine. Like, I don't get it where I think it's kind of stupid or a waste of time, but that's okay. Like, I'm going to put in the effort because I know it's important to you. And if it's important to you, then it's important to me. So I'll do it. You know, so we don't have to agree with or even understand everything our partner wants, but we can still be a good partner back and put in the effort to do it. Do you have one piece of advice you would give to couples where one or both partners have ADHD? What would it be? I think I'm going to come back to where we just left, which is put in the effort to be a good partner. And then related to that, I think I'm going to sneak this in as being still the same answer instead of two. Um, I think part of being a good partner is pushing your partner to be a good partner. You know, like this is a process by which intimate relationships push us to become better people. And, you know, we don't grow and change and become better people by sitting by ourselves on some island somewhere. You know, like it's that process of wrestling things out with our partner 
that pushes us, hopefully, to bring more of the best of who we are. And if your relationship is important, if your sex life is important, you got to start bringing more of the best of who you are. Because if you give into the worst, your relationship is going to go down and your sex life is going to go down too. And that's good advice for everybody. It is. It is. So your book has a lot of the results that you found from this survey data. Is that right? Right. What else, what else will people learn from your book and what is it called? Yeah. So the book is called ADHD After Dark, Better Sex Life, Better Relationship. And the title ADHD After Dark, I mean, beyond this sort of obvious sort of like implication, the sort of suggestion of like, you know, dirty things that happen at night. Um, it's also kind of the idea of kind of living in darkness without a diagnosis of ADHD without understanding, oh, this is why these things keep happening to me or us. Uh, so it's kind of like coming into the light and, you know, seeing things more clearly. So some of it is about, you know, the survey data and what are the great lessons learned from it? And the couples who are really doing well, why are they doing well? What are they doing that we can all aspire to? Um, there's a lot in there about relationships, particularly when one partner has ADHD and how to negotiate out a good sex life that feels good for both of you, deal with the relationship issues that come up, because they always do, as well as other stuff related to sexuality in, in terms of, you know, things like performance or pleasure difficulties, so like erectile disorder or painful intercourse. I have a chapter on masturbation. I have a chapter on porn and how do you fit that within the relationship? So there's a lot of stuff in there, but my our listeners who have ADHD will be happy to hear you do not need to read every page. You don't have to start <laughs> on page one and get through to the end. So you can totally jump around and just ADHD read ADHD friendly. Way. It is. I know my audience. <laughs> <laughs> and how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in treatment or have questions? Sure. So my... Um, I've got two websites, adultadhdbook.com is the one that I have about my books and my podcast, but otherwise my email address is ari at tuckmanpsych.com. I'm easy to find online. Google is, is good to me. So, um, so you can easily find me. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Been great. Well, this was awesome. I'm really glad that we got a chance to do this and I appreciate you, uh, I don't know, helping get the word out on this. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To stay in touch with us, sign up for our quarterly newsletter at lovelink.co, where we share our favorite articles and resources about love, sex, and relationships. Also, in future episodes, we plan on answering listener questions. So if you'd like your questions featured on our show, send us a voice memo using the Anchor app or send it directly to our email, info at lovelink.co. And if you have a second, truly, the best way you can help support us is to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Just scroll to the bottom of the Loveling show page and let us know what you think. We thank you all again so much for listening. We're truly touched you take the time out of your busy schedule for us. Until next time. <laughs>